Baseball season is around the corner, and we will be giving out our favorite futures picks on the Just Baseball show in the lead-up to opening day. To go along with that, BetMGM has a brand new offer for our listeners. Use code JUSTBASEBALL and place your first BetMGM Sportsbook wager through the BetMGM Sportsbook app of at least $5, and you will receive $150 instantly in additional winnings regardless of your wager's outcome. How to get this offer? Step one, download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Step two, sign up and deposit at least $5 into your newly created account. Step three, place a wager in the amount of at least $5 at standard odds price. Step four, once you have placed a bet, you will receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your wager. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York and call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 21 plus only, please gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that it expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL and get $150 when you bet at least $5 on your first wager. College baseball is upon us. Tomorrow, you've got the college baseball season starting, and you've got um, a, a massive draft class of college baseball stars this year. The first round is going to be 20 to 25 college guys. I mean, it, it's as good as we've ever seen it. Jack, Peter, just baseball show, as always, presented by BetMGM. Off the top, real quick, want to talk about a, uh, a momentous hire in the broadcast space in baseball and um, kind of an arrival from hell for pitchers and catchers reporting uh, to Orioles camp. But um, this was an amazing conversation with Peter Flaherty of Baseball America, Peter Apple. No doubt about it. One of my favorite episodes that we do all year. My favorite personal episode is the win totals and futures conversation that we have much closer to the season. But my favorite guest... Pete Flaherty. I mean, the guy is an encyclopedia of college baseball. He gives us the full lowdown. We have over an hour with him that you'll hear on the back side of this podcast, and it is all brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Remember, folks, use code just baseball. We don't have the five dollars to win one hundred fifty-eight in bonus bets anymore because the Super Bowl is done. But we do have another offer, and it's almost as good. 
$5 gets you $150. So congratulations to all the people who took advantage early, but you still can by using Coaches Baseball, putting down $5 on standard odds. And once the bet is settled, $150 will be loaded into your account. And just as importantly, Jack, we got to talk about the Orioles because this sucks. So Jake Rill is the Orioles beat guy for MLB.com. And he reported on Thursday morning that Samuel Bisayo showed up with a stress fracture. He will not catch until April. Gunnar Henderson aggravated his oblique. He is likely for opening day, but he's going to miss a good bit of spring training. Still not good. What? I said still not good. Like he might be ready for opening day, right. but that's like that's an oblique but thing you're right now. Some spring training. It's not yeah. great. Uh John Means is a month behind. He might miss opening day. And then the one that kills everybody, Kyle Bradish has a right UCL sprain. He will open the season on the injured list. Reminder that a sprain is a partial tear. So uh interesting. And this year, after trading for Corbin Burns has gotten off on absolutely the wrong foot in Baltimore. Two things. Number one, look at us. Right back to talking about these injuries. Damn it. I mean, our least favorite part of the show. And we're right back to it. Major League Baseball. Injuries. All the freaking time. Just takes the wind out of the balloon. And the Orioles, right? You just trade for Corbin Burns. Everything is looking so awesome. And now your ace before you got Corbin Burns potentially will need Tommy John surgery. And the reason I say potentially and what I think is probable is, is he going to pitch through it? Orioles have to make a decision now about this, right? Because if he gets it now, he'll probably be ready before the All-Star break next season. If he pitches through this, let's say he gets it at the All-Star break, right? Let's say in July or something like that. Then he's going to miss all of next season. So that's the gamble here. Do you let him pitch through it? Do you say, hey, we need to get it to you now? I don't know. And now we're just playing the waiting game. We are. Uh, it stinks that Bautista is out for the entirety of this year with yeah. his L tear. Um, the plan is get a PRP injection and throw through it and pitch through it. There have been guys that have thrown for several years with a partial tear in their UCL. Has it happened often? No, not necessarily. More often than not, those guys are going under the knife. We are not doctors. We cannot pretend to be doctors. So we have no idea what the Orioles are going to do with Kyle Bradish. And we have no idea what is recommended by doctors. All we know is that we are not getting full speed, full health Kyle Bradish to pair with Grayson Rodriguez in year two and Corbin Burns in a walk year. And I mean, Tyler Wells looked really good. Like, and even John means is a month behind on his dude. Like we have now hit a point that the Orioles are going to run out Cole Irvin in the first week of the regular season. Hey, don't forget about Dean Kramer. He's still all right. Yeah. Like absolutely. But you need five. It's true. And as of right now, it's it's Grayson, it's Kramer, it's Wells, and it's Cole Irvin. Uh, That's actually not that bad. I know, like, it's four are great. I know, it's just Cole Irvin. Yeah. Think about Wells being the five and not the four. (laughs) Yeah, no. I mean, Tyler Wells is perfectly fine. So they have some reinforcements, but like Cole Irvin. And the thing is, Jack, they could maybe trade for Del Cease right now and not even feel it. uh, They'd feel a cease. Well, like, kind of. 
like, yeah, they'd feel it because it's Dylan Cease. But at the same time, why don't they just trade their fourth best outfield prospect? Like, I mean, hell, man, they can they can go make a trade for Bieber and not feel it. You see Bieber's up to 93 in bullpens? Yeah. My favorite analysis. On the track, man, in a bullpen that I, I don't know where. He's up to 93. I'm back in. Sucker for the indoor bullpens. This obviously hampers the optimism that we had for Baltimore. It doesn't adjust how I feel about their win total. It doesn't adjust how I feel about their regular season aspirations. What it does alter is if this guy does go under the knife, I wonder if they have the front line starting pitching to win the World Series. And after the Burns deal, assuming full health when they get to October, I thought they did have the front line ability to win the World Series. Here's my worry. Last year, right, there's always one line out there on BetMGM that scares me. Last year, it was the Cardinals minus 110 to win the division. And we all thought to ourselves, what, you're telling there it's like a 52% chance? There's a way higher chance. Cardinals have to be a lock. How'd they do? Finishing last. Yeah. The Orioles win total line before this Braddish stuff was in the mid to high 80s. And you look at every projection system, they're right there as well. And anybody who watches baseball would tell you that's completely wrong. The Orioles are way better than that. Did you see them last year? And now they get full seasons from Gunner? Who knows? Maybe Jackson Holiday could contribute. They just got Corbin Burns. And they're like fighting with the Blue Jays for second in the American League East according to the odds. Yep. They are the one weird line this year. Now, it, it, it could. They could just win and win people money. Yeah. But yeah. very similarly to the Cardinals. I read up on the Orioles' lines, and I'm thinking to myself, they know something that we don't, and I don't know what it is. They didn't know he had a partial tear. No, no they didn't, it, but the thing is it hasn't changed since then. That was with yeah. Braddish in the fold. Maybe they're asleep at the wheel. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, that's what the books are known for. That's why Vegas is so shiny is that they're asleep at the wheel. What just happened there? Did you just spit on your camera? Spit on my camera. Yeah, that was crazy. I, I didn't realize what just happened, but that's awesome. Real quick before I'm we started to drool. I'm so excited. <laughs> Real quick before we get to Pete Flaherty, Jenny Kavnar earlier this week was announced as the primary television play-by-play announcer for the Oakland A's. She is the first woman to be the primary TV announcer for a major league baseball team. It is awesome. It is overdue. Jenny was doing a lot of pre and post for the Rockies and was doing a lot of fill-in play-by-play on TV when Drew Goodman was out. Jenny is awesome, and I love the way she operates on a pitch-by-pitch basis. She knows the game so well. She's articulate. She's It seems easy to work with. Her and Dallas Braden are going to be the bright spot in Oakland this year, and her and Dallas Braden going to Vegas together. Dallas Braden in Vegas is going to be like the best thing ever, and I stand by that. But um, A-plus, Grand Slam, Slam Dunk, whatever – Word you want to use higher by the Oakland A's here getting Jenny. Couldn't agree. I love that duo, right, with Braden, who, you know, makes baseball really fun and makes it really easy to understand, and especially his time, you know, in Major League Baseball, he can relate. And then Jenny, she's a savant with the numbers, and she definitely knows what she's talking about. So I really like that duo together. Um, And I agree. It's, you know, the best part of watching A's games is hearing the booth, and the booth just got better. 100%. All right, college baseball, time to go. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. We have the perfect man for the job, and that job is the 2024 college baseball preview. Most people call you a genius when it comes to college baseball. The kids would call you the source. Me personally, I call you the plug. Pete Flaherty, before we begin, tons of questions, right? We got questions off the top, but we have your top eight teams that will make it to Omaha this season. The most important. How are you? How's your mental? You ready to go? You fresh? I'm fantastic. I'm I'm gearing up. I've I've taken a uh, a two day hiatus from my like Twitter weekly scouting rep- my daily scouting reports on players uh, to get the batteries recharged. But I am I'm super fired up for tomorrow, and it's going to be a a sprint to the finish in June. It was so funny. Like mentally, I wasn't going to say anything because I can't be the guy to like invite myself onto a show. I was checking my phone daily every time I get a text, being like, "Oh, I hope this is like." Pete or Jack or Arm saying they want me on the Just Baseball show before the college season because it's one probably my favorite podcast to do, and two without a doubt my favorite show. So when you texted me, I think it was two days ago. I was so happy. It was like when I was like in eighth grade and waiting for a text back from like a girl, and I <laughs> didn't get I didn't get that text, but I got the Just Baseball show invite. So that's even better. Well, we know you're. We know that we are a massive part of your life, which is great, and and <laughs> you love us with a burning passion. So, like, that's awesome that we can fulfill that need for you. You're an what, asshole. What I know, I <laughs> what does unplugging look like for you? Is it darkness retreat? Is it high school baseball? Like indoor practices? What is what does unplugging look like? Uh, my girlfriend's probably the best person to answer that one. Uh, but it's a lot of quality time with her, and then like trying my best to like like I it's like a massive itch I feel like I have to scratch um but literally just like relaxing and watching like the Celtics who've been a wagon this year but really just like spending time with her I'm a I'm a huge simp but I I don't mind at all are you team Drew Carter or what oh I love uh shout out Drudel 25 I think that's still his Twitter handle ask him about his corgi I love him yeah shout out Drew man he's (laughs) yeah shout out Newhouse (laughs) shout out the orange before we get into the top eight i want to give you a softball question because i know jack has some couple off the top just on general college baseball you know topics who's the best player in college baseball oh man that's a that's a big time question because it's a little bit different than who's going to go one one in the draft um you know what he's been my guy for a while now and I'm going to stick with it. it it it's not an easy answer with the talent there is in college baseball but I'm going to stick with uh Travis Bazana second baseman out of Oregon State I think for my money's worth he's right there with JJ Weatherholt in terms of best hitters in the college game. Barrel sense is off the chart. He's an 80 makeup kid. Um I think he's a big leaguer through and through and an impact big leaguer at that. So I'm excited to watch him this year and I know that once he gets into professional baseball, he's gonna he's gonna hit the ground running, literally, because he's a plus runner and he's got an outstanding baseball sense that he routinely flashes on the base pads. But I am he he's my guy. He's he's my number one. 
Okay, second best pitcher in the country. I I think. Oh, second best. That's it. Is it consensus? Is it consensus that Burns is the best pitcher in America, or what? Again, that's a really good question because you have obviously Chase Burns, Josh Hartle's right there, and then at least in terms of the draft boards, how they're shaking out, you kind of have this cluster maybe in the middle-ish, late part of the first round that might be that next tier. But, um, oh gosh, I'll, I'll go with kind of a non-vanilla take. I I think Burns and Hartle will be the are right now going to be the first two pitchers off the board. Brody Brecht is right there as well. Um, but I'm going to take Jonathan Santucci uh, at a Duke. I, I think he's really, really good. And I think that um, that was really eloquently said. I think he's really good. But um, <laughs> 6'3 athletic left-hander, repeats his delivery really well. Like, it's a starter profile on the mound. He's got present arm speed, fastball up to 96 from the left side with big-time ride through the zone. Um, and then he's got two plus secondary pitches in his slider and changeup that both got a ton of whiffs last year and and had both um, allegedly taken a step forward um, this fall. So I'll, I'll take Santucci. I think that he is, I think he might be the more like a little bit more of an underrated answer because number one, I do think when all said and done is Burns, like you were saying, Pete and Jack, but um, I, I'll take Santucci, but Hartle's right there. Hagen Smith is right there. Brody Brex, right. There are a lot of arms that are, are in that conversation as well. Yeah. So the one, one conversation, because often, you know, the best player in college baseball doesn't get immediately drafted one, one, right? Sometimes it's a high school player, but sometimes it's a college player with just a lot of talent that evaluators are really interested in. So who is going number one in the draft in your eyes right now? And why is it Nick Kurtz out of Wake Forest? <laughs> I like that. Uh, well, I guess we'll start with why Nick Kurtz would go number one. Um, and I I think that he is arguably the only player in the country with a borderline 70 hit. 65 isn't really a, a grade in my eyes. Like it's a it's a strong six borderline seven hit tool. And then it's 70 raw power. And like. I mean, he is a virtually impossible at bat for opposing pitchers because he's a huge kid at at six five, two forty something, and you know, usually have got with guys of that stature at least at, at this stage in their career, their their swing is a little long, their levers are kind of out of sync. It it looks like very gangly, like they'll show flashes, but the overall product, there's stuff to clean up. But it's very uniquely compact and explosive. Um, his swing and it's big time bat speed. He really snaps the barrel. I know that's like a teacher man buzzword, but like it, it like you watch him, like you swing and like it, it he really does like snap and just uncork. Um, and, and he's got an outstanding field of hit. Uh, he drives the ball with authority to all fields. The approach is very advanced. And then I think the cherry on top is it goes overlooked with first baseman, the defensive aspect of their game, I think at least collegiately and in high school, because you don't at this stage typically have those like gold glove standout defenders, but Kurtz is comfortably a plus defender as well. He's super nimble around the bag, handles himself. Well, Um, he's a, he's a total package. So I think that um, with what he's going to do this year, um, that's that's a very hard guy to pass up on, but I think right now, who is almost the consensus one one guy a little bit, like separating himself a little bit at least on the 
what I've seen um, is West Virginia's JJ Weatherhold, and it's hard not to. Like he led D one with a four forty nine average last year, over forty extra base hits, swiped thirty six bags. For my money's worth, he's the best pure hitter in the country. Um, again, the 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 feel for the barrel and barrel awareness is is top of the scale for him. Um, he drives the ball with authority to to all fields, which I think is unique. Um, someone of, of his size, he's a little bit smaller in stature, but there's legit thump, not only just to the pull side, but I mean, when I saw him on the Cape, he was driving balls into the left center field gap over left fielders heads. Um, and that was just in the one game or two games I caught him. Um, and he does a good job getting the ball up in the air approach is really advanced. And then the bat to ball skills are, are an 80. If you can stick your grade on him, it was a 90% overall contact rate. 94% in zone contact rate. The bat speed is ridiculous. The barrel really accelerates the hitting zone. And um, he's a, he's a plus runner and he, he, he makes opposing defenses feel him on a routine, on a, on a regular basis. And I think that the cherry on top with him is he's an, an he's an outstanding makeup kid. Uh, he started the summer on the Cape, went to USA. Then he came back to the Cape, which is super rare. And then, What's kind of separated him in that one-one conversation right now, um, and it's it has him separated by a, a very small margin. I, I I don't think it at all takes away from the volatility at the top of the board, um, but it's that he's going to be West Virginia's everyday shortstop. Um, he apparently showed pretty well there this fall, and if teams are convinced on the ability for him to stick it short, like that is a very impossible really not even teams if the guardians are convinced on his ability to stick at shortstop that is gonna be a very hard person to pass up on so um he i think he'd be one one right now but i think a lot uh could change as we go through the spring they they've got enough guys in that organization that are like shortstops but are probably gonna <laughs> make the move to second base so they don't need to add another one of those guys i'm sure um, I've got a couple like bigger picture questions for you before we get into the the team by team thing on uh, what the opening day of college baseball. I'm curious how you see it as somebody that is very enveloped and knows all of these guys and gets to know them between springs, gets to know them like when they may be making a decision to to transfer. Working in college athletics at at the outset of of the transfer portal boom was crazy to me, especially at like the mid-major level when you get to college basketball, college football. I totally understand leveling up, right? I, I understand like an Adam Tellier who just transferred from Ball State to Wake Forest, right? Or, or even a Seaver King who just went from Wingate to Wake. But it, it's the ones like Braden Montgomery who goes from Stanford to A&M or hell, even a Chase Burns who was going to be the Friday guy at Tennessee and he goes to Wake Forest. Why are the high major to high major transfers happening in college baseball? Is it an NIL thing? Is it, hey, let's surround ourselves with Lions thing? Like, it feels very unique to this particular sport. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of factors at play. And I think that what you ask is is what head coaches at major programs in, in college baseball are trying to figure out themselves. Because a lot of them, logically, at least looking at it from – where I sit and where you guys sit, it, it might not make um, total sense. It's kind of a seemingly lateral move, if that. Um, and I think that there are a lot of factors at play. NIL is certainly one of them. 
I don't think that's the reason for someone like a Braden Montgomery transferring or even some of these other guys, but um, I think that is 1000% a factor. I think you'd be naive if you don't think that. Um, and then I, I think another big one is, is maximizing your draft stock, being in a position where, you know, every day you're going to be, or every week you're going to be the Friday guy, or you're going to be the guy um, in center field or, or wherever it might be. I think maximizing your own personal stock and then um, putting yourself in a position to win a national championship, which is, uh, I, I think, which hopefully is probably the number one goal of all these guys. So I think that it's a very long winded complex answer that I think everyone's trying to figure out as we kind of go here. Cause they're like you said, it, it, there isn't a whole, there isn't a really, I, I think clear reason for some of these guys transferring. Right. Um, my other thing is like, it, it, it feels like, especially over the last couple of years, college baseball has become more concentrated, which makes Omaha way more enjoyable, right? Because you got a bunch of Titans going head to head and you got louder against Skeens and it's game of of the decade in college baseball. But it also leaves some of the previous powers behind. Like I'm looking at top 25s and I don't see USC. I don't see Louisville. I don't see Miami. Like where are those programs going? Like it, is there a world where we see once powers and the Mike Martin led Seminoles and the Augie Garrido led Longhorns like, those programs may just fall out of the top 25 if they're not keeping up with with the new age. I, I think there's a little bit of a changing of the guard, um, at least up at the top. It's hard not to say there is. Um, I don't think that programs like you mentioned, Louisville, Miami, Florida State, Florida State just missed the tournament last year for the first time. And it was a it's a record setting uh, number of years. It was 40 something years. like it, it was year five under Martin and then he like never missed it again unbelievable streak that was snapped. So I, I think that while those three teams have been down in recent memory, at least Florida state and Louisville, especially Louisville has, has missed the tournament in two of the last three years, Florida state missed it just once last year. Um, I, for what it's worth, I think they're a dark horse to make a really deep run gotcha. uh, this year, but um, Miami is consistently in a regional, a super regional. Um, but I, I think up at the top, there is a little bit of a changing of the guard, but, um, those three programs are certainly still very well respected nationally. No one is, I think, taking them lightly. They still have the pull to get really, really high quality recruiting classes and and high quality transfers. But it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds um, in the next few years for sure. So these are Pete Flaherty's eight teams that he thinks are going to go to Omaha this year. A reminder, Pete Flaherty from Baseball America. You can follow him on Twitter, his link is in the episode description, whether you're watching on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you're listening. Just hit the subscribe button. Look how great Pete is. Or leave a five-star <laughs> review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Pete, let's start with number eight. Oh, man. Oh, are we going in, in descending order from, from eight down to the one seed? We'll go however you want. We can start with one and go to eight, because I remember you said pre-record that you, were, you, you still – aren't totally sure on your eight because there are so many great teams in college baseball this year. So why don't we start off at one? Who is that one team that you just locked in from the very beginning thinking to yourself? Yeah, these are the guys to beat. I was going to say, I've, I I think I've got my eighth overall seed, but to your point, we pre-recording, like I, I have like six of my Omaha eight. I'm still kind of tinkering with them. Um, 
I'll we we'll, I'll start with one um and and go with Wake Forest. Uh I I think that they are a they're in a really really good spot to to get back to Omaha. I think it do you want me to should I go in depth right now or, or should we run through them and then talk them through? I say just go give us give us the elevator pitch on both teams and we'll ask some questions about each and then we'll just keep it moving. Gotcha. Uh yeah, with Wake, I mean they it starts with the rotation. They've got that three-headed monster, and and they're billing it as such, and rightfully so, of Chase Burns, Josh Hartle, and and Michael Massey. It's one of, if not the best rotations in college baseball. Then you you flip to the other side of the baseball, and and there's no shortage of talent there with Seaver King and Nick Kurtz. I think Ball State transfer uh, Adam Tellier is going to be a real X factor in that offense. Jack, I know you're really familiar with watching him play, but to me, he's a he's a wiry athlete. You can stick him all over the field and feel pretty comfortable that he'll play a quality deep he'll he'll play quality defense wherever he is, especially at third base. He's athletic enough where you can throw him out in center field and he holds his own. Um and and he's got some impact at the plate. And then otherwise offensively, you have a handful of transfers with Tate Ballestero. Um Merrick Houston, I think, is someone that is going to take a massive step forward from an offensive standpoint. Last year, you saw his his plus defense at shortstop on display um, on a game to game basis. He is one of the best defenders in the country. He's a he's a pro level shortstop through and through. Um, I think if he takes a step forward offensively, it'll just make that lineup um, that much longer and that much more dangerous. And they've got a Wofford transfer, Cameron Gill. Um, they are just littered with talent on both sides of the baseball. I think when peeling back the layers with the Deeks a little bit, I'm curious to see what that bullpen looks like. Um, they lost a lot of firepower from last year, namely Kaminasi, who was drafted in the sixth round by the Angels. And Cole Rowland was set to step into that role, and he was going to be a, a fantastic option. But it was unfortunately announced, I think, a couple of weeks ago that he'll, he'd be out until mid April. So that's a, another big hole that I'm curious to see um, how that shakes out. But David Falco, a Maryland transfer is someone who I think will, is going to be the guy in the back end of the bullpen. And they have a couple of talented freshman arms in Hayden Lafew and Blake Morningstar, who whether one of them is used in a midweek role and one of them's used in kind of out of the bullpen to start it's TBD, but um, there's talent everywhere. And I know that coach Walter has preached this and this has been the team's mindset as well. They don't want last year to kind of be an anomaly year where wake snapped this crazy Omaha streak. They made it for the first time since 1955, I think it was. And then they were never to be really heard from again. Like they, they want that to kind of be the standard. So they're by no means satisfied with, with what they did last year. Um, and they not only want to get back to Omaha, but they want to be the team dogpiling on the mound at the end. Yeah, losing Brock Wilkin or you know Teddy McGraw as well. Those those are some tough losses. Last year, LSU with Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz, they were kind of viewed as that juggernaut, right? Just there was just some prohibitive favor. They don't always win, but of course that Tommy White home run certainly helped in the end. I'm curious, do you view Wake Forest as a similar? juggernaut to LSU like it's Wake Forest and kind of everybody else or do you view Wake Forest as just the top team in college baseball and then there are others that can fight with them it's a great question because I think last year um, this was a lot of people's mindsets and I'm happy that 
I correctly picked them preseason as the national champ, but it was kind of, it was LSU um, and everyone else sort of, at least when going through the preseason rankings. And then even throughout the year, it was really, okay. It's LSU was in that one spot. Wake had it for, I think a couple of weeks and they were the number one overall seed, but um, even still it was the Tigers and everyone else. I think this year um, it is not that at all. I know, in in ranking at least putting together the preseason top 25 we debated a lot of teams at the top i think it was three to four teams that we thought had legit arguments to be the preseason number one so it is not at all as clear as it was last year and i think that it's going to make for a really fun season and especially a really fun um college world series when we get down to it because i there is there's no clear juggernaut where i'm like okay that this this team is the clear favorite i just I think Wake right now is is the classic college baseball. So I was just talking about this with Arm on the call-up. And when I think best college rotations that I've watched over the last 10 years, let's say, um, it's 2014 Vandy, which is Beattie, Fulmer, Bueller. And then it was 17 Florida when they won the national title, right? Fiedo, Singer, Coar. Could Burns, Hartle, Massey, fall into a trio like that. Can we be looking at three first round pitchers, three top 15 pitchers in this class? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think top 15 might be aggressive for all three, but I think a, a pair of, of top 15 arms certainly isn't out of the question. Top 20 is a heck of a lot more realistic for, for where Burns and Hartle will each be selected, but no, not at all. I think that with the talent that they've shown in the years leading up to this and what they've shown this fall, um, I think the, I think they, they absolutely have that kind of ability to go down as one of the best um, rotations in, in college baseball history is certainly in recent memory. Um, and I know the LSU rotation from last year, there's a little bit of um, carrying over to this year, but Skeens, Floyd and and Hurd, when you get down to it, Thatcher Hurd has a chance to be a first round pick um, this July, but no, I, I, I think that that wake rotation um, is, has a chance to be really, really special. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be appointment television to, to watch them on a, on a, on a game to game basis, I think, because those are our three absolute studs. Yeah. Moving along the list, the fight for number two, I'm thinking it's probably LSU for you, but I'm really hoping it's my pick Arkansas plus 1100 at number two. Pete, who do we got? I have LSU, and again, like we debated a lot of teams at one, and and I did as well. Um, LSU was in there, Arkansas was in there, Florida was in there, uh, even TCU and Oregon State uh, were thrown around. But no, I, I've got LSU. I they lose two irreplaceable guys in Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz, the number one and number two overall picks in last year's draft. That production is going to be impossible to replace but they do return tommy white uh who will hold down the left side of the infield and he might break the 21st century home run record of 74 this year he's got a chance to and they have a outstanding amount of depth behind the plate with they have sophomore brady neal or they could also opt to go to alex malazzo and hayden travinsky who both played well in omaha Jared Jones at first base looks the part of an NFL tight end. Like I remember seeing him in Omaha. I was like, good Lord. Like he is 
I, I think I was the Cespedes family barbecue. Uh, when I was listening to their podcast a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about how just like huge Jared Jones was um, and saying he looked more like, you know, Travis Kelsey than he did a college first baseman, but he's got tremendous raw power. And then they brought in a couple of transfers. I, I think one guy, I I've kind of coined this at least mentally the the Adam Tellier like unsung transfer portal hero I need to shorten the award name but <laughs> the Adam Tellier like unsung transfer portal hero for the team is going to be Mac Bingham from Arizona he was recruited by Jay Johnson he knows what um you know Coach Johnson's like he's been a huge producer at Arizona for a while he I I think the invaluable trait that he brings is experience um and and you can't win without at least some experience in veteran leadership and that's what he brings and then he's also going to be able to to produce in the lineup i think but um i i think where they also shine is is in the rotation and again you talk about how they lose paul skeens and ty floyd but one they return who they return thatcher heard who again has first round type upside he's going to be the staff ace this year um at least has has the look of it and then they brought in luke holman from alabama engaged jump from ucla jump from ucla he missed all of last year or or most if not all of last year with an injury but if he stays healthy and and throws you know and he lives kind of around the strike zone and and throws competitive pitches he is probably the best pure stuff on the staff and I think that people around the college baseball world who were otherwise unfamiliar with him, whether he played because of him playing on the West Coast or because he hasn't really played a lot, they're going to be blown away by this kid. Like it is thunderous stuff. It is a mid 90s fastball with ridiculous ride, a, a hammer breaking ball. Um, he's I mean, he's he's electric. And so I think that, you know, th there is schemes and crews are massive massive immeasurable losses but i think that you know they return some depth uh they know what it takes to to get to omaha they know what it takes to win in omaha um and and the talent that they boast is very impressive so i i think while it is so so hard to repeat as national champions they're not my national championship pick yeah. um but for as hard as it is to repeat as national champs it's really really hard to get back to omaha um, I still think that they're able to get back to the College World Series. One more quick thing on on the rotation. Are we going to get to know Cam Johnson at all this year? Because Cam Johnson was a guy that could have gone first round. Like, crazy that he got to campus, but huge, right? Isn't he like 6'6", 250 or something? He, one, he turned down a lot of money to go to LSU. Uh, there was heavy, heavy draft interest, as you alluded to. I think he's 6'6", six, six or 6'7", six, something like that. Um, he's got a upper nineties fast sinker sinking fastball, 97, 99. It's got a ton of sink and run to it. Um, and he pairs it with a budding slider. I think that this year he'll be mostly used out of the bullpen. Okay. Um, but looking ahead, way ahead to 25, I would not be shocked to see him in the weekend rotation. Okay. Number three on your list. I'm just sitting here praying that it's Arkansas. I mean, come on. Our, I was going to say it, it's Arkansas. And again, they were, they were a team that I, I, I debated as my national championship pick and rightfully so again, not to, I, I think that people listening can probably sense a theme here, but their rotation is stacked like Hagen Smith, Brady Tiger, and Mason Molina. That's, they're going to be able to go toe to toe with anyone in the country. And, and Hagen Smith, especially is 
been 97, 99 this fall up to 100. Um, really good slider, budding split change. Um, and they've got Brady Tiger, who last year he was kind of bitten a little bit by the injury bug, but he he pitched well later in the season um, in his first taste as a starter. And then Mason Molina, who was Texas Tech's horse last year. He's an experienced kid. He's got a four-pitch mix. He's a competitive bulldog strike thrower type. Like going to that on on Sundays is that's that's about as good as you can get outside of maybe Michael Massey or Kate Obermuller in Iowa. But um they have depth on the mound. And then offensively, they lost a lot from last year. I think they they lost the majority of their regular guys, but um, I, I think Vaheva Aloy, the transfer from Sacramento State, he's gonna slide in and play shortstop for him. He was outstanding last year in the whack. He tore it up, he had a really good fall. He's someone I think that you can feel really comfortable about building a lineup around. And then they also brought in Hudson White from Texas Tech. He's another high-ish profile guy. He he produced reasonably well at tech in his first two years there. Um, I think that he'll be able to hit and they do a really good job at Arkansas and developing hitters. So I know that, you know, coach Thompson and, and coach Van Horn and that entire staff, um, they'll get the most out of that offense. I think Kendall Diggs is a guy to watch. He'll play right field. Uh, I, I, I caught him pretty good this summer on the Cape. And then they brought in another one, kind of that Adam Tellier guy in Ty Wilmsmeyer from Missouri at over 300 last year for the Tigers. He can go and get it in center field. He can run good feel for the barrel. Like there's, they'll be able to roll five to six deep offensively. They've got a deep rotation. Um, I feel very, very confident in their ability to get to Omaha. And then, you know, should they make it to the college world series? I, I think they're going to be a lot of people's picks to win it. Does, does every team have an Adam Tellier adjacent? Yeah, it's so funny three, three, rolling three. through these three guys like in in going down it so far yeah in in my other picks uh kind of, yeah, it's weird yeah kind of all of them do okay so the I reason like i the reason i love arkansas so much is you talked about the pitching lights out from friday to sunday but they did lose right i think they lost six regulars but my main question and I'm hoping you say it's really good, is how good their transfer portal was, right? We talk about Mason Molina coming over on the mound. How about his catcher, Hudson White, from Texas Tech? They also bring in Jake Wagner from Tarleton State. Yeah. Put up an 1,100 OPS with 15 home runs. You talked about Wills Meyer and Aloy, who was the fifth WAC freshman of the year. I didn't know that other WAC freshman of the year Chris Sale, Reese Hoskins, Sam Long. The whack has produced some dudes. So oh, he's yeah. curious. I'm Wait, curious. hold on. Yeah. Sale was whack freshman of the year at Florida Gulf Coast. No, he started somewhere else, right? That's yeah, what I can't read. Be in the whack. That's what I read. I don't know, man. Uh, Pete Flaherty. My thing. question. I know you're a big college hoops guy. Sorry. Uh, do you know who the head men's basketball coach is at Tarleton State? Oh no, that one I don't know, but they beat my they beat my my BC Eagles. I think it was last year, so I should know it. But no, I don't know the head coach at Tarleton. Yeah, Billy Gillespie, the disgraced coach at Kentucky. Oh no way! Is yeah, really? he's at Tarleton That's State. Funny. All right, let's keep going, Peter. You know, Tarleton State. My question to you, Pete, was just where does this transfer class rank in terms of offense? Right, teams who added these type of offensive pieces pieces 
in the offseason. And trying to isolate it to to offense only, I mean, they that's a that's as good of a haul as a lot of these teams have brought in. It's gonna rank at or right near the top. Um, it's Vahiva's the big guy. Um, but again, these supplemental pieces they brought in, I'm I've I've kind of got Wilmsmeyer circled as a guy who could be a real X factor for him, but Hudson White obviously notable guy. And then you touched on Wagner, he was a mid-major banger at, at Tarleton, put up crazy numbers. I'm curious to see how he does um in the SEC. But offensively, this the transfer hall that they brought in is it's top notch. Jack, was I right about Chris Sale? No, Sale was in the A Sun. Uh I was gonna say, yeah. But notable whack freshman of the year. How about Philip Umber, who went through a perfect game? Uh, Judge Hoskins, Nick Gonzalez, another one. Did I just read off just a terrible list? I wasn't sure. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, but that's okay. Sale, we forgive were, you for it. So I forgot about Aaron Judge, but I remembered Chris Sale, who's just not on the list. Yeah, A-Sun. Um, but A-son. no, he was he was Florida Gulf Coast. He's a Lakeland guy. I was like, how can that be the whack? Although I know Chicago State was in the whack for a little bit. Pete, number four. Number four in no or like I'm gonna try and keep it like not overall seeds because I'm still like trying to figure out the last like team no, I got. Un- but unfortunately, on February fifteenth, we're holding you to it for the rest of the year. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's just how Capital J journalism goes. Hey, I don't blame you. I've got I've got Oregon State though, and they're they're a team that I in particular, Pete. I know you're a huge fan of them as well. Um, I I feel really really confident in not only a, a deep run for them to June. Um, but also as a team that can win the national championship, I was for like our crystal ball that we do at, at baseball America, where we kind of do all these preseason predictions. Um, I was down to Oregon state and wake as to who I was going to pick as my national champion. And I was, it was not, I picked wake, but I was really, really close to picking Oregon state. And obviously with them this year, it, it starts with Bazana. We've talked about him at length now, but he is. He is the total package. And I think, again, when you talk about these intangibles, he's an 80 makeup guy. Like he is a leader in the dugout. He's a leader on the field. Um, it's a guy you can build your team around in, in all fast, excuse me, in all facets. And then you go to the outfield, they return all three guys from last year. Um, all experienced regulars. You have Micah McDowell hit over three forties, a great table setter at the top of the lineup, or you could even use him at the bottom as kind of a second leadoff hitter. Um, but I feel like he's going to, he'll lead off with Bazan in the two hole. You can really run. And then you've got Brady Casper who had over 300 and then sophomore outfielder, Gavin Turley. He's got all the tools in the world. He got his college career, got off to the best start. Anyone could have ever asked for. He had a home run in his first at bat. Then he kind of went through a little bit of a slump was, was cool for the majority of the season. And then went berserk from may through regionals and ended up raising his average from like 220 to to 310 by season's end like he's he's got potential five tool upside he's just got to put it all together the contact skills really need to improve and if they're able to take a step forward the approach takes a step forward um he could be he could be in for a monster sophomore year and then on the infield they have one of if not the best freshmen to make it to campus in Trent Caraway. Um, he is a big time bat. He's got an exciting hit power combo. He's someone I think is going to be a big time contributor for him right away. Um, and he's, he has freshman all American freshman of the year type upside. And then on the right side of the infield, you have Mason Guerra who last year hit 326 with double digit home runs. And then 
like trying to encapsulate all of this info into, I guess, easier to understand stats. They return 71% of their home runs from last year, uh, 73% of their doubles, and then 75 of their 89 stolen bases. And on top of that, um, they add in Washington State transfer Elijah Hanlon. And I think he is that. I think he's he's a more highly regarded guy in draft circles than someone like maybe uh, Adam Tellier is or a Mac Bingham, those or Ty Wilmsmeyer, those savvy, gritty vet type players. He's a he is top five round upside, but he is he had 337 last year. Um, he was an all star in the Cape League. And I think his play style and skill set he has is such a perfect fit for this Oregon State team. Um, he plays fast. He'll be able to put pressure on opposing defenses with his speed. Um, he can swing it. And then he also packs a strong glove at shortstop. He'll be their everyday shortstop. He's a quick twitch athlete. He's got a little bit of thump. And then he gives an already loaded lineup um, even more depth. Like they're going to be, they'll be rolling like seven deep in Corvallis on a game to game basis. And the pitching staff is a little bit like that's the one if they there's upside there. And I think that the guy headlining the rotation is Arizona transfer um, in May. And you look at the back of the baseball card last year for May, and it was pretty unimpressive. Um, like he did also ERA. play. Sorry. It's like a six ERA, but then he led the Arizona in strikeouts. It was, it was like a six, three ERA. He notched 77 K's and in 75 innings. Um, but again, he was, he was playing in a, a non pitcher friendly park in Arizona. Corvallis is a lot more pitcher friendly, but his fastball has been up to 97 and it'll sometimes flash some run and sink. I think the shape of it really needs to improve for him to maximize his arsenal. It, it got hit last year. I think that hopefully this fall he was able to develop it. Um, but he also flashed like a, a low nineties cutter that was more effective than his heater. So I'm, I'm curious to see how he looks. And then the slider for him is, is the moneymaker. It's a legit sweeper averaged almost 15 inches a sweep last year. And he'll throw it to both right and left-handed hitters. He's a really good arm. And then they've got Jacob Kamatz, who I think will be the Sunday guy. He's, he's got a workhorse frame. He's a strike thrower. He won't overwhelm you with stuff. Um, but again, on a Sunday, that's a quality got to have. And then they also have Jaron Hunter who will round out the rotation, probably man the Saturday spot. Had a tick over a three RA last year, not a huge sample size. I think he was also bitten by the injury bug. And then in the bullpen, there's a ton of weapons they've got back. Ian Lawson's back. Nelson Keljo, he's a flame-throwing lefty. He's back. A.J. Lattery's back. And then I think their Adam Tellier equivalent, albeit on the pitching staff. Four for four. Four for is, four. Where yes. our four for four is, is Cal Poly transfer Kyle Scott. Um, was just really solid, kind of steady Eddie um, at Cal Poly in his time there. I think that, again, he's a valuable asset for for what he brings on the field and then also in the clubhouse. Jack, I have a question for you before you ask Peter a question. Yes. What do you think Oregon State's odds are to win the College World Series after hearing that incredible pitch? Um, Low, because I bet there's a bunch of pitching concerns. I got them at plus three thousand. They're now down to plus two thousand. Wow! And they're did still you plus move, 2, did you move the market? I feel like I think I think yes. I don't know yeah. because I don't know how they went down a thousand points in that short amount of time. Good on you. They man. did. 
but it's still good value at 20 to one. This is for all um, my not gambling advice folks out there. Love it. I, I don't have a question more. So just an observation, like Oregon state over the last, I don't know, since, since Adley got there really. And maybe even before that, um, they have under Pat Casey probably become the class of the Pac-12, right? You look all-time Pac-12, it was USC, UCLA, now it's Oregon State. I'm just thinking about this team in the Mountain West next year, and like they are going to obliterate a mid-major conference. And I know the Mountain West is like somewhere between high major and mid-major in college baseball, but I, I mean, they are going to... They might could go they run the table yeah, in, in the Mountain West next year? not to burst anyone's bubble they're actually going to be independent next year while they like try and figure out their next move really Uh, okay yeah so they'll be independent um but no i'm with you it's it's them and stanford it's they're the class of the pack and oregon state hasn't they haven't won it since 2018 um when they won like six years ago that you say they haven't won it in six years i mean no i know it's still recent but i think that you also look at storylines. I think that like it's kind of all like beginning to come together a little bit. It's the last year in the Pac-12 as we know it. Um, it's the last. It's the last year where they're going to have a lot of these guys. I think it's a a great potential send off for the conference, yeah. um, for them to in this group to to win a national championship. So I, 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 I'm really really excited to watch them this year. Got you. The number five. My guess is it's Tennessee, but I'm really hoping it's my UCSB Gauchos. You got a number five. Not to spoil it, I've got UCSB in there. Um, They're not like number five for the sake of this exercise, though. Um, It is Tennessee. They they got to Omaha last year. Um, It was they came into last year with with very high expectations. They got off to a little bit of a slow start and then started playing their best baseball when it mattered most, um, which was down the stretch. Uh, they reached the College World Series, but they they subsequently got bounced. Um, I think that they have a really key group of returners. You look on the on the infield, especially, and you have Blake Burke, who I think gets a little bit slept on. And when you talk about the most raw power in college baseball, like he's he's got double plus raw power, um, and he's got twenty plus home run upside. And I know that. He he didn't quite flash it last year, but um he's he he is that type of slugger. And then second baseman Chris Moore is another one. Super, super athletic kid, big league body. You see him get off the bus, you're like, well, like that's the definition of looking the part. Um, and he can pick it a little bit. And then they added two key guys from the transfer portal um in Billy Amick from Clemson, um, who just went nuts last year for the tigers and then cannon peebles he transferred out of nc state he led the team in hitting last year he had over 350 with i think 10 home runs and in 52 rbis or 50 rbis on the on the dot um he'll be their everyday catcher um and then they also return a a couple of vets in the outfield i think one guy who who could be he's going to be a big time leader for him in the dugout. Like you look at last year, like kind of your BT Ryapel type at Florida, it's Hunter Ensley. Uh, he's not the the toolsiest guy, um, but he is, he's going to be kind of the de facto captain of that team with Kirby Connell in the bullpen. And then 
a guy that I have circled is sophomore outfielder Dylan Drying. Um, he was solid last year as a freshman at about 300, but he is a super strong kid. He's got a ton of bat speed. The approach is super advanced. Um, I think that there is, again, like 12 to 12 to 15 home run up type upside, and the lineup's really, really deep. Um, and then you look to the pitching staff. Um, it's a little bit of a kind of a retooling. They lose Chase Dolander, obviously, from last year, and, and Chase Burns is – those are – two really, really big holes to fill, but first team preseason All-American Drew Beam is going to be the Friday guy. He's, I mean, he is in that next group of pitchers when we mentioned early in the show, um, who was kind of the second or third best pitcher in college baseball. He's in that conversation and they've got sophomore AJ Russell, who was outstanding out of the bullpen as a freshman, pitched his way to a sub one ERA in over a 30 inning sample size. And then they bring in AJ Causey from Jacksonville state, who I think nationally he's, he's pretty unknown. Um, but I, I, I caught him a bunch on the Cape last year um, and the previous summer. And he is a funky true sidearm guy. Like he's, he's up to 92 from that slide. He's got an effective slider. Um, I think that he, he could be a, a, a weapon for him. Um, and then you look to the bullpen Um Nate Sneed is another transfer they brought in from Wichita. He's been up to 100. And then Marcus Phillips from Iowa Western. He's got all the arm talent in the world. He's got thunderous stuff. It's just going to be like honing in the command and control and, and taking a step forward in the pitch, in the pitch ability department. But um, they have a supremely talented team. And Coach Vitello is... Uh, for my money's worth, he's one of my personal favorite coaches in the country. I, I really like how he runs things at, at Tennessee. And so um, I I feel really, really excited about the Vols going to 24. So, Jack, don't you think it would be funny if Tennessee, after these teams that are just so unbelievably loaded and have these incredible regular seasons, they falter in regionals, and then they lose Chase Burns and Chase Dolan, and they ended up winning it all this year? That'd be the most college baseball thing I could imagine. A hundred percent. Um I do have a follow-up on Beam because that's a guy that like, hey, after Burns and Dolander, chances are not many of the college baseball casuals like myself that that tune into Fridays, right? I tuned into Dolander starts and then, you know, Beam is starting on what a Sunday, right? He was a Sunday guy for them last year. I, I think Saturday or Sunday, but yeah, he was after Dolander. So his thing is change up, right? Like, is he... He obviously pounds his own. I was just kind of looking at the numbers, and and I love the write up that you guys did on the preseason All Americans on Baseball America. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I read what mid nineties big kid, really good changeup. Is he like you know quick ascension through the minor leagues? Like could be you know high floor, big league, middle of the rotation guy, or is he that classic really good college pitcher that pounds his own, but the stuff may not be major league ready unless there's some improvement in the minor leagues. I think you, you hit the nail on the head in the middle there. I think to me, he is that safer high floor college performer. Who's got the stuff. Isn't the loudest, but it's certainly not like average stuff. You mentioned the changeup is plus um, the curveball is, is flashing plus it's above average right now. Um, it's certainly effective. And then just velocity wise, the fastball, it's mid nineties up to 98. Um, it'll flash some run and sink again, 
velocity really doesn't mean anything. Um, it, 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 and professionally, especially at the big league level, like if you can't command it reasonably well, and there isn't a little bit of, you know, life to it. Cause I mean, guys can put wood on a bullet, but, um, it's an effective three pitch mix. He's a starter. He's got kind of that prototypical pitcher frame at six, four two ten. Um, I, I think that you can feel really confident, um, in beam, Eventually pitching his way to the major leagues. I, I think that he is more of a four number four, number five type starter. Um, but but certainly is a chance to be an effective one. We got three teams left. We talked about the top five extensively, and I'm so fired up this episode is already a banger. <laughs> so you talked pre-record again how you're just I know that you feel good right now about six, seven, eight, but I feel like that's where it gets a little bit dicey. You seem pretty firm on the top five. How did you round out the final eight? So to be in the spirit of honesty, uh, I'm still trying to round it out. So I'm going to, I'll go with like who it's kind of a sleeper pick for a lot of people. Um, and, and they're, they're getting a lot of recognition out West and rightfully so they're ranked reasonably high in some polls and it's UC Santa Barbara. Um, I really like them to get it's it's hashtag Chomaha season again um, with the Gauchos last year. They had a really strong year. It's kind of become the norm under head coach Andrew Checkets and his staff. They do a fantastic job. They won 35 games, um, but they missed the tournament for the first time since I think 2019. They lost their last four regular season games and just kind of they sputtered down the stretch, unfortunately. But you teams like Wake, Iowa, Arkansas, LSU, those are those are the popular names that come up, and, and rightfully so when you're talking about the best rotations in college baseball. Um, but in my eyes, one team that that deserves a seat at that table is Santa Barbara. Um, it's led by 2020. Their rotation, at least, is led by uh, last year's Big West um, Pitcher of the Year and Matt Ager. He's also a top two round type of draft prospect. Um, they have a pitch ability lefty and Meg Gutierrez. He was four and two last year with about a two, five ERA. And then the guy that they get back, who is the X factor in that rotation for me, at least is Ryan Gallagher. Um, he missed all of last year again, but he was the 2022, um, big West freshman pitcher of the year. He posted an eight, no record with a three, two ERA. And then the guy that I haven't even talked about yet, who, might have the loudest pure stuff on the staff and certainly the highest upside is sophomore right-hander Tyler Bremner. Um, and he is someone at least early on, I think they, they plan on using him in a midweek role, which when you're trotting him out in a midweek role, um, that is a real testament to the depth that you have. He struck out 80 hitters across 55 innings last year. Um, he's got a, explosive fastball that's been up to 98 it averaged over 21 inches of ride last year um it's it's a plus heater um between its velo and shape and then he's got two quality budding secondary offerings um in a mid-80s changeup and a low 80 slider the changeup is further along than the slider is and then but the slider it's a it's a sweeper and it's got plus potential um he'll throw the changeup uh to both right and left-handed hitters but the slider it, it showed well um, this fall. So I'm excited to see the usage of that tick up um, and, and see what he looks like. He's a, he's a team USA type guy. 
And then on offense, they return six of their top seven hitters from last year. And it's kind of led by, at least in terms of a body comp, he looks exactly like Aaron Judge, um, is Ivan Bredauer. He had 311 with 11 jacks last year. Um, and then they return a whole host of of returners that are, are going to be key pieces. I really like Xander Darby, um, who will hurt, hold down the hot corner for him. Um, I like him both collegiately and then also as a prospect a little bit. I think he's he'll be a nice middle of day two, mid to late day two type of pick. Um, and then it they return a lot of depth from last year's offense, but if as a whole that group can take a step forward in the production department, it'll go a long way. I think towards them achieving their really high ceiling. Um, and then you look to the bullpen. They have one of the best relievers in college baseball in Hudson Barrett in last year, like Gallagher was in 22. He was the big West freshman pitcher of the year, struck out 82 guys with a sub two ERA. And then he's got a fastball. that has been up to 94 with a legit plus changeup. So they are a team I'm, I'm really fired up about and, and think they're in for a deep run. So, those are my hometown UCSB Gauchos. I'm from Santa Barbara. Grew up watching the Gauchos. So I had so many questions for you, but you answered basically all of them oh, in wow. that pitch. It was excellent. But my <laughs> question I'm was, glad. Andrew Chekets has just been raving about Tyler Bremner. So, and he's been up to 98. So I'm just going to assume that you really like him. But I guess the one question that you kind of didn't answer, but you kind of did, but I just want you to elaborate a little bit more on it. Like Xander Darby and Aaron Parker, who I think is going to hit third probably going to play some catcher and some DH. Do you think that this offense is truly good enough to compete at this level? Because we've gone through the top five and it's like the offenses are just overwhelming. And then they have their great Friday guy, the great Saturday guy. UCSB has pitching for days, right? You talked about the bullpen and they could go four deep and I have confidence in all four of them. It's just the offense. And especially you're talking about from the production standpoint, do you truly think that the offense could be this good? to compete with those five because that's where I feel like they just they're just not quite there. That's the that's the main question. I, I certainly don't think that they have um the firepower as the the five teams we've talked about before them. Um but it's certainly a quality group. I think that someone I alluded to it a little bit and you did too the guy that I think is going to take a step forward um even after a productive sophomore year last year is is Xander Darby um he's got a lean build like 63210 um it's a direct path to contact with a little bit of bat and hand speed the approach is there he's got plus bat to ball skills he'll spray the baseball to all fields um he 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 hit well on the cape i i i thought that he he performed really well when i saw him um, and he, he's a sound defender over at third. So I, I think an uptick in production is certainly in his future on route to being like a fourth to seventh round type of draft pick. And then Aaron Parker, again, you look at the, the back of the baseball card and he was solid last year. I think he's another guy that you can feel pretty confident, um, in being productive. And then Ivan Bredauer again. Um, I, I think again, there's not as much firepower and, I guess high profile, like nationally known guys as the other five, but they certainly have the the type of upside to to run the Big West, them and UC Irvine. Um and and I think that assuming they don't get sent and get like a really, really bad draw come tournament time, assuming and hoping they make it, 
Um, they 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 have the depth and 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 firepower needed to make a to make an Omaha run. I think. Should we move on to the sleepers? Because I guess six is technically a sleeper, but when you're getting really towards the last two, we're looking at long shots. Who's the who do you think are the two best long shots to make Omaha? Okay, so my like number one sleeper, and I think a lot of people's number one sleeper, so it's like not the like craziest pick at this point. Um, but for me, it's Northeastern, and they return a ton of talent from last year's team that won a program record 44 games, and they made a regional. I was like, it's easy now to say, like, I like Northeastern even last year, but um, I was I was intrigued by them last year. Obviously, for what they did during the regular season, I thought that they might have had a little bit of a tournament run in them, but they unfortunately got sent to, to Winston-Salem and Wake, so, like, that was just an absolute buzzsaw of a regional that they had wake. They had big 10 champ Maryland. It was a, it was a tough draw. I would have been curious to see what they did elsewhere, but offensively it starts with Mike Sirota. He's got a chance to be the highest draft pick in school history. Five tool type of upside. He's got one of the best approaches in this year's draft class. Um, again, it's, he's got a chance to be a top 10 overall pick. And then also in the outfield with him is sophomore Cam Aldonado. He actually led the team last year in, in hitting. He had over 350 with 31 extra base hits and 32 stolen bases. Um, he was the CAA Rookie of the Year. Um, again, pro body with tools. And then they also returned Tyler McGregor and Alex Lane, uh, the leader in home runs and RBIs from last year. And they bring veteran experience and a veteran presence and legit thump. And then I think on the mound is also where similar to UCSB, maybe not of, of that exact caliber um, just from sheer, I guess, loudness of stuff and maybe prospect status, but they have a really good and quality rotation of their own with it. it even Cabral is going to anchor it. He's their sophomore who last year had a two five eighty RA walked just 14 hitters and 83 and two thirds innings pitched. And then they've got a pair of veteran strike throwers to round it out in Wyatt Scotty and Jake Gigliotti, um, who were both really good last year. Gigliotti split time between the rotation and the bullpen, um, but he was 8-0 with a 3-2 ERA. He was an all-star on the Cape this summer. Um, Wyatt Scotty is a is a true senior. He had a sub-4 ERA last year, and he walked just 13 in 76 innings. And then going to the bullpen, they have a serious weapon in the back end in in Dennis Colloran and he missed all of 23 recovering from Tommy John surgery but he's an ultra physical kid he's got a lethal sinker slider combo the sinker's been up to to 98 at least it was this summer with bowling ball sinking action and then he pairs it with a really sharp sweeper that that will flash plus and then they have a bevy of other weapons that they they feel confident in deploying and it starts at the top too with head coach Mike Glavin. Um, he is as good of a human being as he is a baseball mind. And he gets all these guys to buy in and play for each other. Um, they're littered with vets, strike throwers. Um, and they're the embodiment of kind of Northeast tough. And they're a super, super gritty and talented team that I think is going to make a ton of noise this spring. Do they sell season ticket packages at Northeastern? Do you have one? Oh, that's that's a great question. I should probably know the answer to it. 
Um, I don't know if they do, but I might as well be a season ticket holder because one, just to selfishly watch them as a team, I'll be there a ton. Right. And then obviously from a draft standpoint, getting a lot of looks at Sorota and, 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 um, Collar and Cabral Maldonado, those guys, but so just quick background on you, like you have been obviously doing this for a, a good bit of time now and you, you've been doing it out on the Cape, right? You've had you know, tons of involvement with Kituit and, um, I'm sure we'll get deeper into that. Um, we may do like a Cape preview or something in the middle of the summer and you can kind of tell your, your origin story with Kituit, but some of the guys in recent memory that you've gotten to look at pretty much every home weekend, it'll be Sorota this year, but I'm sure you saw a ton of South Freelick coming out. Who are some other of those like Northeast New England guys that you've been able to get look after look after look in the spring? Yeah, Sal was super impressive. Sirota is is in that similar realm as as Sal was. Um, BC, Joe Vitrano, Travis Honeyman, mm-hmm. uh, Cody Morissette. Those three guys are really impressive. Um, and then even this year, I, Harvard has a guy, Sean Matson, um, who was excellent on the Cape. That's I, I knew about him going into the summer. I knew about him last spring. Um, but he had a, a zero ERA on the Cape across about 22 innings um, with, for my money's worth, what was the best changeup on the Cape. Um, so he's someone I, I'm really looking forward to watching. Um, Thomas White is another one that. Um, yeah, the high school kid, Marlins. Yeah. Yeah, Josh Baez, uh, who's now with the Cardinals. Um, there's a lot of talent um, in the Northeast. I think it's a really slept on region for baseball i know the guys who play up here they feel the same way um but it's it's slept on and i think that you know bc last year and northeastern this year uh i know that their rosters aren't necessarily made up totally of of kids from the northeast but um they they kind of showed that you know teams up here can play and and play with anyone so uh i i definitely have a little bit of of regional bias towards towards the huskies okay Mike Trout is Melville, New Jersey. That's technically the Northeast, correct? Oh, yeah. I'll count it. Yeah. Mid-Atlantic when we're talking Little League World Series, but I think geographically it is in the Northeast. That's how I separate my regions in the country, but Little League World Series. <laughs> That's how I do it, too. Yeah. How else are you supposed to do it, right? That's all I got, too. I'm in the Great Lakes um, region. <laughs> exactly. Pete, number eight, the sleeper. Who's been calling your name? Please tell me it's the game. Oh, this isn't so much a sleeper. Um I've got TCU to make it back. Um, I think last year they were a little bit ahead of schedule and just looking at the personnel that they had. Um, and then this is a stat that my my colleague Teddy Cahill put me onto in his write-up of them. But last year, you talk about playing your best baseball at the perfect time. Between May and June, the Horned Frogs last year went a combined 21-4. and four. Um, They won the Big 12 tournament. They made their first college world series um appearance since 2017 and they they made a run there and they eventually got knocked out by florida who went to the who went to the final and eventually lost lsu but um when you talk about them being ahead of schedule that core of guys they made it with um they had their i wish it was five because you could have easily said fab five but their fab four freshmen with catcher carson bowen Shortstop Anthony Silva, starting pitcher Cole Klecker, and star reliever Ben Abel. Like they they did it on the backs of those kids. 
Um, and and they're all four of those guys are returning. Um, Bowen and Silva will be the centerpieces of that lineup. Plecker will will be a part of the rotation again, obviously. And then Benabel, they're opting to use him out of the bullpen at least to start. Um, they might as well keep him there because he is so dominant in that role. But he is he's got a long slingy low long slingy arm action attacks from a a super low three quarter slot from the left side it is a super super uncomfortable bat at bat for opposing hitters especially left-handed hitters he's got a fastball that's been up to 95 96 that just explodes out of that slot and he pairs it with a really high quality long sweeping slider with some bite to it and then they they brought in a huge, literally, addition from the transfer portal um, in Wichita State's Peyton Tolley. And Tolley will get the ball at least to start, um, depending on when this episode airs. But he's going to be the opening day starter for TCU. Um, and he's a, a strike-throwing lefty um, with an effective uh, fastball-slider combination. Um, he struck out 97 across 85 and two-thirds innings last year. He's going to attack the zone. And then they also brought in um, Peyton Chatagnier from Ole Miss, kind of that experienced vet type guy. He's a, a ball of energy and um, just brings an infectious play style to the dugout. And then on top of Tully's ability on the mound, um, he's got a chance to be a high impact bat. Uh, he hit over 300 last year at Wichita with 13 jacks. I think his peak exit velocity last year was, I think it was something like 119. Like the impact he's able to generate is is almost unlike anyone else in the country, and it's legit plus raw power. Like he when he's not pitching, he'll be a, a big time contributor in that lineup um, as a designated hitter. And then somehow back again is also Carson Bowen. When you talk about veteran leadership, you're in the same breath as like BT Ryapel. Um, he's, he's right in that mix. And then, um, Ben Hampton, he's a West Virginia transfer, a little bit more of kind of a, a pitch ability, a pitch ability lefty, um, but an experienced kid who is a, I think a nice option to turn to on Sunday. So last year, like they were ahead of schedule and they went to Omaha, at least in my mind, they were ahead of schedule and they return, a, a big time crop of talent. Um, from last year's squad so I've I think that on in a smaller scope when you talk about X team and everyone else in the big 12 for me at least going into the season it's TCU and everyone else um, but I I feel really confident in their ability to to return to Omaha can I pitch you on South Carolina instead please do because they were they were a team I was debating so I'm, I'm curious to hear where your head's at on them so I just think that their offense is incredibly overwhelming, right? They finished third in the SEC last year in runs per game, and I think it's even better, right? Ethan Petrie hit 376 with 23 jacks as a freshman, quite possibly the best offensive player as a true sophomore in all of college baseball. They also have Gavin Casas, who returned after last year. He's obviously a big slugger. Cole Messina as well, and then they transfer in Parker Nolan from Vanderbilt. And I guess you could say, well, the pitching is a little bit up in the air, but at least they have a solid Friday and Saturday guy and Matthew Becker and Eli Jones. Like your pitch on TCU, they feel like a more well-rounded team, but I just feel like the South Carolina offense is so good 
that if they get even solid contributions from this rotation, they could just hit their way, right? How many college baseball games do we see finish 10-7 and 11-6, right? That's why I feel like they can beat teams. They were a long shot for me. They were also at 30-1. to TCU is probably better. Again, I'm also judging based off the odds, and TCU's odds were better than South Carolina's in terms of they were not as juicy. But I just feel like this team has so much potential if the pitching clicks. Yeah, you you hit on it perfectly at the end there. I think a lot of their upside hinges on what the pitching staff looks like and, and how they perform. You mentioned Jones and Becker. Those are two potentially quality guys in the rotation. And then outside of that, they're going to be looking for someone to step up. I know the the guy they have tat, pegged right now for that role is Roman Kimball. He missed all of last year recovering from Tommy John. But is he um, his YouTube channel? His he, YouTube oh, he channel. I I watch all of his vlogs. Yeah, like I, I yeah, he's he's my man. Uh, I like him a lot. Uh, also on the field, uh, he's got a really low launch fastball that's been up to ninety four, ninety five with with big time riding life. I've seen. Um, some video of him in, in bullpens this fall. And as he's come back from injury, uh, the off speed and secondary pitches have taken a step forward. Like he's got, he's got really loud stuff in a, in a serious arsenal. And I think that he could be someone to take a lot of people by surprise when he comes back from injury this year. Um, and he's a, he's a legit draft prospect in his own right. He's got potentially top five, six round type upside, but you mentioned it, the offense is like the offense is what's going to make that team go. And it's Petri's the guy he's got some of the most vaunted and most vaunted raw power of anyone in college baseball. He had over 370. Um, Cole Messina is, is um, also a big time bat who will be their everyday catcher. Gavin Cassis, I think hit 18 or 19 home runs. Um, he I think could have at least signed probably could have gotten drafted should he have chosen to gone that route, but he instead chose to return to South Carolina. Like those three guys, Messina, Petri and Cassis, um, they like, I think they hit almost 60 home runs combined. And then you talk about some of the transfers they bring in. Parker Noland is a key one from Vanderbilt. The guy I have circled is Kennedy Jones from UNC Greensboro and last year at UNCG uh Jones hit at 357 with 14 doubles, 14 home runs. Um he's got some thump in his bat, he'll probably play left field. Uh I I'm with you that that offense is really going to be able to they're going to one hit and two be able to keep them in most of their games. I'm just the why they were the reason why they were out of my Omaha 8 at least preseason um, is I'm just a little bit iffy on the pitching staff and how that's going to shake out. But um, we'll know a lot more even in the first three three to four weeks of the season, so not too long. Jack, for your last team in, are you siding with Pete, who probably has a better pitch than me, or are you trying to watch dingers at South Carolina with me? Think about I it. Lo- I love the, <laughs> I love the last name, you know, Casas. And I know you love dingers. Huge. Uh, the Rocky mascot is my favorite in all of baseball. I love dinger. Um, one of you is employed full-time by Baseball America and the other isn't. So I have to go with the one. 
You're choosing Vegas. the college baseball expert over over I just, me. I, <laughs> I'm I'm a sucker for credentials, man, and I just have to go with the guy with credentials. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Credentials to the Super Bowl doesn't count. No, Pete. I mean, what a blast, man! This is my favorite episode that we do. I mean, I, truthfully, MLB win totals and futures is number one. This is right now number two. Both some of the best episodes that we do here at just on the Just Baseball Show, and it's all because of you. Go check out Pete Flaherty's writing over at Baseball America. He does the best job of anybody in the country, and we're so happy to have him on. Last question for you, Pete. Just for, you know, a lot of MLB fans follow the show, and maybe they're not really tapped into college baseball. Maybe they've watched a game here or there. But after hearing this, they're starting to feel the energy that is college baseball. Give those people an elevator pitch on why 2024 college baseball is must-watch. That's a great question. One, there is a ton of talent, both at the team level. I think you heard in us walking through it. Um, there are a ton of teams with a college world series run. I think in them, it was hard to nail it down to just eight. Um, and then also from an individual and draft standpoint, there are a ton, a ton of super high level blue chip prospects who have major league all-star upside um, if it all pans out for them. So whether you're a fan of a team or kind of a draft Nick and fans of players, there is there's stuff for everyone in the college game. And also I, not to be like, Oh, old man, like yells at cloud, but it is a little, it, it's kind of the game in its purest form. Um, they, it, the, everyone plays super, super hard. They're playing for each other. There's a ton of energy in the dugouts. Um, and it's just genuinely a lot of fun to watch. Um, so I think I'd encourage you like, to to pick a team or, or pick a handful of players that you really want to follow this year um, and try and do your best to do it because it's it's a blast. It's also the best baseball environment that we have in the States outside of the WBC coming or the Caribbean series coming. So um, my last question for you, rapid fire, no explanation needed. I say best environments in college baseball. Oh boy. Give me the ballparks and I'm going to cut you off at five. Okay. Um, Swayze crazies at Ole Miss. Okay. Um, the jungle at East Carolina. Nice, um, I'm like trying to rattle. LSU, LSU has to be LSU. There. The box is there. Yeah, the box is crazy. Um, so that's three. Oh, I gotta like roll through these really quick. Um, Mississippi got a great State, one. Mississippi, Mississippi State. State, the dude is there. Um. And then, I mean, down in Florida, those are good games. Too. I'm at four. I'll take I'll take Southern Miss as my sleeper pick. Um, mid major school, but the fans there are as passionate as they come. Uh, they're bananas and will give you hell in the outfield. So that's five. But then again, you the swamp, Florida, not the swamp, but yeah, Florida's unreal. A and M is a ton of fun. Texas is sick. Like. And just talking through it, like there are so many fun and rowdy environments yeah. um, in, in the college game, which you can't really say for um, baseball anywhere else. Love so it. We'll do, we'll do a quick wraparound to end it. Rapid fire, no explanation. Your champion. I'll go first. Give me Oregon State to win it all. Jack, and we'll end with Pete. Uh, wait, because I am drunk on the Chase Burns inner squad scrimmage video. Wake Forest, hashtag MTFY, make them feel you. That'll, that'll do it for the 2024 college baseball preview. Again, many thanks to our guy Pete Flaherty over at Baseball America. You can find his Twitter handle 
in the episode description, and you can just Google Pete Flaherty Baseball America, and you'll find all of his writing. Pete, thanks again so much for coming on, and we'll do some midway point check-ins. I love that idea that Jack had about the cape preview. That's another great one, too. So we'll be seeing you again. We've been seeing you for years, and Pete, again, many thanks for coming on, my friend. Oh, I can't thank you guys enough for having me. Just how it's uh, your second favorite. This is my favorite one to do. So I am beyond appreciative of you guys. And I'm excited to hop back on here soon. Definitely my top guest. 20, Pete. Favorite guest. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll appreciate it. Even others receiving votes. Favorite guest, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, fellas. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.